following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. Let's pray. Father, it is a privilege to gather together as your people this morning. And we recognize that we are not alone in gathering to worship your mighty name. That men and women and children are gathered across the globe or will be or have been already to worship you, to focus on your word, to listen for your voice. And Lord, now is, uh, it's our turn to turn our attention to your word, to listen to your voice. I pray that your spirit would be at work among us, even as you have been in our worship in singing. May you be active in our worship, in our attention to your word. We give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, <clears throat> we're going to do things a little differently this morning. Um, so, uh, buckle up. Um, <laughs> every, every week, I spend quite a bit of time in study and preparation for Sunday morning's message. Uh, and I've done my best uh, to try to get at the message of each passage and try to find ways to apply it to life and our lives uh, as a church family and as, as individuals. Um, and you all have been very gracious to me even when I lay an egg um, and leave here asking Caroline what just happened. Um, well, it seems to me that there is trouble with this method. Uh, and the trouble is that it's far too easy for you to come in here each week, sit quietly, smile politely, uh, and then leave when the service is over uh, without really engaging in the Word because... I've done all the engagement for you and packaged it and delivered it. And you may come away with a few nuggets and maybe not. Well, today I want to try something a little different. Today I want us as a family to engage in a process together that can help us all mature as disciples like we claim we want to. It may be awkward, it may be clunky, uh, but I think it will be worth it. This method may sound familiar to some of you uh, that have used the first principles materials that we have used in the past that Nate is using at his house, at his study. And I'm not going to claim I made this method up myself. Um, it's not original by any means. So the first step that we're going to do is to study the Scripture together. So you can all turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 35 through 41. It's page 839 in the Pew Bibles. And it will be 
up here on the screen in very small white print that I've learned is difficult to read from a distance. You have a question? Can you see that all right? Well, the good thing is there's a, there's a, a collection of paper pages in the pews in front of you that you can get really close if this is not working. So I'm going to read the passage, and then I'm going to have some questions for you to consider and maybe actually answer out loud. That's the buckle-up part, okay? We haven't done that before. Uh, Right, never said anything out loud before. Why start now? So let's look at Mark chapter 4. Uh, verse, start of verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Jesus said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And then a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him. So now typically this would begin where I explain to you what just happened. Um, but now instead, I want to ask you, what just happened? We start just with the easy questions. Who are we talking about? Who is here in this scene? This is when you say, Jesus, Jesus right? Start with your Sunday school answer. (laughs) Jesus. Okay, there's one. Who else is there? The disciples, right? The ones that that, uh, Jesus had called to himself. Anyone else? Some other guys in some other boats. That's true. Yeah? Somebody else? Okay, so let's try to not go completely crazy, my children. Uh (laughs) And stay focused on what really matters here, okay? So we have Jesus, we have his disciples, and we have a bunch of other uh, people following him in boats, right? And where are the boats? In in specific water. Thank you, Andrew. Not going to get called on if you're going to be like that, son. (laughs) All right, what, what water are the boats in? The Sea of Galilee, okay? And what are they, now if you were here last week and you were paying attention, they just were doing some things before. What had just happened? Yes, it was teaching, telling parables about the seeds, right? Seeds growing. Okay. So what, what is the problem? What's the problem that uh, comes up, that the disciples face? A big, a big windstorm, right? So what's happening in this storm? Water, and like that's where you don't want water, right? In the boat. It's okay for a boat to be in the water. 
the other way around, and pretty soon your boat is underwater, right? Okay. So what was the disciples' response? Fear there, right? What did they say? Uh, you don't you don't care we're gonna die how's your nap going um we're we're all dead here thanks okay so what's the real problem right so we see the problem on the surface is that they're getting wet and nobody likes that uh their boat is filling with water nobody likes that and jesus is asleep and not doing anything about it that also not good so what's the real problem right yeah they don't trust that. So what did Jesus say in the passage? When you look at the passage, what's the first thing that Jesus said to them? No, before that. No, before that. Way before. Let's go across to the other side. Well, don't go back into last week's text. That's not fair. That's not on a screen. He says, let's go to the other side. And they say, we're not going to make it. We're going to drown. We're, our boat is going to sink. We're dead. Is that what Jesus said was going to happen? He said, let's go to the other side. And if you trust him, what's going to happen? You're going to get to the other side. Okay? I think that's really important. And when we consider this passage, to consider the words that are used, what did the disciples say to Jesus when they wake him up? Don't you care? We're, we're perishing. We're dying. You don't care. That's not just a, like, so, you know, what? do you know what the weather is going to be like tomorrow, Jesus? It's like, don't you care? You don't care about us. We're going to die, and you're taking a nap. We're all going to die, and that's it. That's, to me, a real problem. Don't you think? I don't want to say this is what you think, but I'm asking. I, I think that's a problem. If you don't think that's a problem, that's a problem. That's big, yes. Um, so how, do you, how would you just take a stab at kind of summarizing the core message of this short passage? Right, what's, what's the message? I mean, we've talked about before that what is recorded in Scripture is recorded strategically. Right, The Gospels are not just a, a book of history, but they're specific accounts recorded in a specific order for a purpose. So when Mark records this story, it's for a reason. So what do you think that reason is? What do you think he's trying to get at, Daniel? Fear, okay, so taking from the sermon title, fear is not the same as faith. That's true, okay? The disciples... Don't really trust Jesus. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of a thing. Yeah. Any other thoughts? I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm just collecting your... We're just pooling ignorance here. It's cool. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. God is in charge of weather... He's keeping the nails in the wood to hold the boat together. He's keeping the atoms in the nails together to hold the boat up. Yeah. 
That's possible. I think, uh, would Jesus have slept through the whole storm? Maybe. I, so when you think of Jesus as the Prince of Peace, right? We say that a lot around Christmas time. But that, that doesn't just mean peace for us. I think also mean peace for him, right? He, he is the definition of what it means to be at peace. He knows, right? He knows what's going to happen. He knew this was going to happen. Uh, and I think with absolute confidence that he could have slept all the way through the storm. They wouldn't have sank. They would have got wet, but they would have made it to the other side because that's what he said was going to happen. But they did bring their trial to his attention, and that's a good thing. The way they did it, I don't think was very good. Like, don't you care about us? All right, so I want to move on a little bit. Um, I have no idea how long this is going to take. So I know that we have baseball practice at 2. And Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. So, all right. So I want to uh, read quite a bit uh, from a couple of quotes here. And we'll put them on the screen. And I'll do my best to read slowly so you can follow along. Um, the first, you've heard me quote from J.P. Lang uh, quite a bit uh, in my preaching in the past. So I want to read a paragraph from, from his commentary. He writes, The personification of the wind and sea in Christ's address is most emphatic in the rebuking words of Christ as found in Mark. But at the base of this personification, there's a dogmatic element. Do you see why I say I can't read anymore? I don't even understand these words. (laughs) At the base of his personification, there's a dogmatic element, meaning that nature has acquired a character of apparently wild independence and anarchy since man became unfaithful to his destiny. He was told, rule over it and make it subject to you. But in this seeming anarchy, which is under the power of God and is used by him as a means of discipline and judgment, is reflected that real anarchy, that lack of obedience and faith in the human breast, which is at the same time felt as a lack of self-government and rule over the creature. Therefore, we see confronting the unbelief of the disciples, Jesus' confidence. His peace is opposed to their excitement, his self-possession to their distraction. His majestic supremacy over the winds and waves is opposed to their subjection to natural terrors. And the effect is that his own disciples experience towards him the same awe of reverence and fear which they had experienced before towards the frightful sublimity of nature. But now they are the subjects of a fear which passes over into the utterances of a rising and blessed faith. I know that's a mouthful, um, but I think he gets at some very important ideas that what they're experiencing in this storm is a result of the fall of man. So this, this passage has roots all the way back to Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve sin, and God curses the land, he curses man, it is all kinds of problems. So we think about sickness and pain and difficulty and storm and trial. All of those natural things are results of the fall of man. So when we shake our fists at God, say, why did this terrible thing happen? 
Why did this storm uh, sing the boat? Does God say, you're right, it's my fault. Sorry about that. It's quite the opposite. It's a result of humankind's sin. Now, that's not to say your specific sin this morning uh, is what caused an earthquake or something like that. I'm saying the fall of man. That's when this sort of thing entered into the sphere of existence. That's my thought about that. But what they were afraid of changed. They were afraid of the storm. They had fear that the natural uh, was going to dominate over them. And then at the very end of the passage, you can see it's quite different. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? So now you think about the transfer in their minds and hearts, right? That they were afraid of nature, and now they know there is one that is greater. And they have a a respectful fear of him. I think that's pretty important. I'll read another quote here. I know this is not fair because I just dump all these words on you. These are John Calvin. And it's on your screen? Okay. Fear which awakens faith is not in itself faulty till it go beyond bounds. Its excess lies in disturbing or weakening the composure of faith, which ought to rest on the word of God. But as it never happens that believers exercise such restraint on themselves as to keep their faith from being injured, their fear is almost always attended by sin. Yet we ought to be aware that it is not every kind of fear which indicates a want of faith, but only that dread which disturbs the peace of the conscience in such a manner that it does not rest on the promise of God. How about that? Yeah, okay. Yay, John Calvin, all right. I think, again, this is a very important idea that not all fear is bad, necessarily. Not, not all fear is caused by sin, In this account, their fear is caused by sin. Their fear is a result, or it results in sin. What they say to Jesus is sinful. You need to understand that. When they say to Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, the creator of everything, and they say to him, don't you care? What is the answer to that? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, what are you talking about? Right? This, these men are not resting on the promises of God. In a very simple way, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. That's when Jesus said something's going to happen, you can reasonably assume that's going to happen. He says, let's go to the other side. You can count on that. They didn't. Okay. That fear was not based, it had nothing to do with their faith. It had everything to do with their lack of faith. Okay, so how's it going? You're still here. Okay, good. So I want to kind of uh, 
think about the issue here. Think through the issue. And I've got a bunch of questions on the, on the screen here that I want to consider um, so that we can just kind of boil this down um, or maybe pull it apart further. Um, so what's the, what's the key issue in the passage? What's, what's going on? Okay, it's a, a lack of faith, all right? Fear, lack of trust, absolutely. So see how fear can and often does stand opposed to faith. We're afraid because we don't trust the promises of God. Yeah? Yeah. Do you think this is the first storm that ever hit the Sea of Galilee? No. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? Yep. So you think they had an excuse? <laughs> yeah, well-founded. They've been through storms before. Yeah, if you talk to anyone who is a, they still fish on the Sea of Galilee, and we ask, uh, have you been through a storm like this? They say, yeah, I never want that to happen to me again. Right, So this is a real thing. This wasn't just like this storm came up to teach us a lesson. Right, This is a real storm. This really happens. So, yeah, I would say, you know, they've seen, some of them have seen it before. They all lived on the Sea of Galilee or nearby, so it's not foreign. So does that say, all right, Jesus said we're going to go to the other side. Is, is it reasonable for them to say, no, Lord, we shouldn't do that? Oh, yeah. It could be halfway across. Yeah. And they didn't say they didn't want to go. No, that's true. They didn't say, let's turn back. Nope. Their response was to accuse Jesus of not caring about what happened to them. Okay. So uh, let me ask this. Now, here's where we start to draw some conclusions or maybe some ideas about our own experiences. Like when bad things happen to us, it's clear God's punishing us, right? So is it, uh, are they... (laughs) Are the disciples being punished? The storm is a storm of judgment. No? Being tested. Yes, that's... Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and that's a, that's a really important idea, too, because... Right, they could be like... Yeah. Yeah. That happens to us a lot. It's kind of like a, it's kind of a theme to life. (laughs) Yeah, very good. But sometimes we do think that bad things happen to us because we've done something wrong, right? My, you know, my, my, my car quit or I lost my job or something, you know, my taxes went up, obviously. Uh, What did I do, Lord? Forgive me, right? Not every bad thing that happens to us is a judgment. I think that's also really important. Right, yeah, when do you get out of... Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what do we earn for the wages of sin? Death, right? So every moment we're continued to be alive is because of God's grace. So, right, if every bad thing that ever happened to us or 
if we were judged by God for every bad thing that we'd done, we'd never escape. Judgment and consequence, natural consequences are very different things. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes bad things happen because you're dumb and make bad decisions, right? <laughs> it's kind of a, kind of a thing. <laughs> so what, what did the disciples truly fear during the storm? Death, right? They didn't want to drown. Um. Yeah, this is it. Yeah. Until now, he's given us this, but now, Yeah. So we're kind of we're kind of coming into this cold, right? Although, if if you've been paying attention over the last few weeks, we've been talking about what Jesus had been doing up to this point in the Book of Mark. So it's not like these guys had never seen Jesus before, never heard of him before, and just got in a boat with him and took off. They've seen miracles. They've seen people healed. They've heard his teaching. They've, they have witnessed the power of God in front of their very face, and they know that he is the Messiah. And yet, right, Jesus used a... Oh, did I see a hand over here? I don't want to, I'm not, I don't want to march over you. I'm, I'm too used to lecture, right? Um, so, and here's the thing I want to I, um, I point out, a word that Jesus used um, when he said, why are you so afraid? He uses a different word for afraid there than in verse 41 when they were filled with great fear. Those are two different words. Now, Greek is a lot of fun. It's lots of different words that we just translate into the same word, and they don't mean the same thing. Um, uh, that, that great fear, that's like awe, reverence, respect, um, and terror, um, but this other one where he says, why are you so afraid? He says, you are a bunch of cowards. Why are you sniveling and whining? That he, he uses, uh, this word means cowardly fear. Why are you acting this way, you bunch of chickens, yellow-bellied? Don't, don't you get what's going on? And they clearly didn't, right? I think that's, that's important. And unfortunately, our English translations don't always help us with that. So do you mean like they were expecting that nothing bad would ever happen to them? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's an interesting thought. That's an interesting thought. But it clear, it's clearly that they had forgotten about that idea because they're like, you don't care and we're dying. Um Yeah. Right. Bible. The whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, my favorite quote is, are you still so dull? <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Here. Yeah. He says, "Here are my hands." Right. Because we've been following him while we can't control self. Like some prophets when they die, they show up and they do some miraculous works and for us. So that kind of leads to the next that the next question on the list. What is their response really saying? When they say, Don't you care, we're dying. What what does it say about that? That they don't really think that. Right? That's that's the problem with their response. It's, it's, yeah. I, do you hear that? He said the last thing that they said is, who is this that even the winds and waves obey him? Like they still don't get it. Now, in reading and studying for this, um, some some of the scholars say, well, that was clearly the other people in the boats. Like the disciples got it. Like, no. Why would you explain that away? They still don't get it. Even the, I mean, even the winds and waves obey it. And the, the words, again, the words that Jesus used to the winds, come, be, be still. Well, that sounds nice, but that's in Greek. He's like, shut it, you know, muzzle it. That's the word he used is muzzle it, right? And that's exactly what the wind and the waves did, right? They slapped the muzzle on. No, yeah, it's all feeling very familiar here. I'm glad that I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> they're, they accuse Jesus of not caring. That's their response to this problem. Like you just said, where, where are you? I mean, all this stuff is going wrong. Where are you in the middle of all of this? So let me ask you, is, is every kind of fear sinful? Well, the easy answer is no, because we want it to be off the hook. But is that really the truth? No. What kind of fear is not sinful? Okay. Well, that's. Thank you for your Sunday school answer. Fear of the Lord. <laughs> yep. Hey, it's the word. That's what it says. They were filled filled with great fear, and that was a good thing. They were in awe, right? Sorry? Ouija two-faced. Yeah, that's what Calvin is saying, right? Sometimes that's where faith starts, is with fear. How many people do you know or that you've heard stories of are afraid of dying, and so they come to faith in Christ? How many, how many times have people on their deathbed say, you know, I believe, I don't, you know, I'm afraid of what's going to happen next? Well, it certainly exposes a lack of trust. Yeah.
Well, I think it's the same because honestly, are we, are, where, I think where fear comes from is when things don't go according to our plan and we don't know what's next, right? Yeah, we just don't know. We don't know what's coming or we have an expectation of this is how things are going to be. And let me tell you, it's going to be smooth sailing, right? And then things get rattled and shaken up. And now we don't know what our, our program has just been deleted, right? And we don't know what's next. And I think that, that that's still, um, that is sinful, honestly, because are we promised smooth sailing? Are we promised everything is going to be uh, according to our plan? Exactly the opposite, right? I still cling to those words, in this world you will have trouble. Those, those are Jesus' words. If you've got a red-letter Bible, they're in red. That's important. That you, we are promised trouble. So every time trouble doesn't come, maybe we should be a little more afraid of that. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, watch out. The other shoe is going to drop. You never know. Yeah. So let me... Um, let me just say that only the kind of fear that is opposed to our faith, the kind that erodes or destroys our trust in Christ, that's, sin, that's sinful fear, right? Anything that attacks our trust in the Lord uh, or, our, or our obedience to him, that's sinful fear. Um, if, you're, if you come up into my workshop and um, see its state from time to time, there's a reasonable fear that, uh, of, of stepping on something sharp, okay? That's not sinful for you. I didn't clean up after myself. Maybe that's my problem. But there might be a nail in all that sawdust. It's, it's not sinful to be afraid of things like that. I think that it's sinful if you allow terror of what bad might happen uh, to keep you from ever doing anything, never leaving your house. Um, I hope you have strong HEPA filters in your house because it's not safe, right? It's any kind of fear that erodes our trust in the Lord. So let me ask you, what do people in general truly have to fear? Okay. Can some, would someone be willing to look up and read a scripture for me? Someone be willing to look up Romans chapter 8? Verse 35, Romans chapter 8, verses 35 to 39. You could all look it up if you want. Romans 8, 35 to 39. Mike, you want to read that? Able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Okay, so now based on that, what, what do people truly have to fear? Separation from God, right? Right. So there's only one gateway here, and it's the very last two words or three words uh, in the in that passage. Can you read just that last phrase? God is to not have faith in Jesus Christ. So what is the only thing that mankind has to fear is separation from God. And what's the solution? It's trust in Jesus Christ. Okay? So it all kind of coming back around to trust. All right. So I want to kind of sweep all of this into a pile here. Um, a Bible. We have to apply it to our lives. Otherwise, it just gets stuck here in your head. And as a friend of mine uh, said this past week, that's demon faith, right? Even the demons believe that God is one, according to the book of James. It says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that and shudder, right? So we can't just stop with intellectually agreeing with the truths, okay? The lesson is clear here, right? Jesus can be trusted. That's kind of the, the point. Right, And every trial that we endure, everything that we go through in this life is designed to teach us this lesson. So when you say, oh, Lord, why did my car die? Lord, why did this person I love get sick? Why, why, why did this terrible thing happen to me? Everything is designed to teach us this lesson that Jesus can be trusted. So if you're sitting, going through a trial, trying to figure out, God, what are you trying to teach me? That's it. Okay? There's the answer to the test. Jesus can be trusted. That doesn't mean once you get that, trial's done. Yes. No. Not at all. There's no mystery to this. That Jesus can be trusted. That's what he's trying to teach us. But if we don't apply this principle to our lives in a very real way, that's, it only, that's just knowledge that stops at our head and doesn't work its way into our heart. And we need both to mature as disciples. So I want you to think now. This is the, this is the hard best part. Think back through what we've talked about and what we've seen in the biblical account, what we've read from the scholars, and I can give you those quotes if you want to, to study them further. Think about the things that we've talked about 
And how do you design an application for your life? How do you get from, from here to here, from your head to your heart? So think about that. What, what are some ways that you can apply this truth to your life? Or maybe to our lives together as a church family. This is the most important part. That doesn't mean you have to give an answer right now, but yeah. Yeah. So Jesus can be trusted, and the church was his idea, <laughs> right? So we can trust that his design for the church is part of that. Absolutely. Okay. So that's still pretty nebulous, right? How do you how do you bring it here? Something you hold in your hand. And so where can we start? What's the first step? Yeah. Okay. We can pray. That's a, that's a very practical thing. Yeah. Yeah. We can. Yeah. Thank you, George. It starts with we have to personally trust Christ ourselves. We didn't know that's real. Right. I am not going to assume that because you faithfully attend here Sunday morning that you truly trust Christ. I don't know if your sins are washed away or not. That's, that's, you need to know that. That's where it starts. So absolutely. Point one, you have to trust Jesus yourself. And that's not just a, I prayed a prayer or I filled out a card, I went forward, I knelt at the altar, those are all fine. But do you trust Christ? I see your hand. That, based on this, we've got to stay in the Word and know what He says and then obey. He said to these guys, let's go to the other side. And they didn't listen to what He said. You know, As we went through the story, I'm... I'm laughing and thinking, I wonder what Jesus was thinking as he laid down on the pillow. Because he knew what was ahead, and he knew what these guys were going to go through. Mm. And, you know, he's got to be thinking, I hope they learn. You know, I wonder if they're going to learn. <laughs> but we don't know what Jesus says if we're not in the Word. Yeah, yeah. Sure. How can you trust Jesus if you don't know anything about him? And, yeah, you're, you're just trusting in what you think. That's a problem. It's a recipe for disaster. If you all trust what I think, good night. <laughs> right? I, so these are all very personal. That's really where it starts. And you can't throw away God's word. Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Okay? That's the word of God. Right? And they're like, eh, whatever. The Bible's full of all kinds of stuff. We don't understand. We're not smart enough. That's why we hired you, right? 
no, 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 no. I can't handle that kind of responsibility. I can't have faith for you. I can't trust Jesus for you. You need to know what Jesus said yourself and trust in that word yourself. Lots of people come to church because they think there's something for them. The, the programs, the music, the preaching, the coffee, whatever it is, sweet music, handsome bass player, right? I think lots of people go to churches for a lot of reasons, probably more reasonable than those. But things happen, and they stop coming because things change. Uh, we, got a new, we got a new pastor, and he doesn't preach the same way as the old one. Um, we got a new band, and, you know, we don't like them. Or my friends moved out of town. They don't go there anymore, so we're going to go somewhere else. Right? There's a whole swath of the church that's in that, and I'm not saying that about you. You might say that about you. I don't know. Then there's another group that's a little bit further in that, that their faith is based on what other people tell them. Right? If your faith is based on just uh, what I say and what I think, what happens when something happens to me, right? Where's your faith then? Is it based on God's word? Is it based on Jesus? It's based on me. If it's based on me, whoa, baby, you're in trouble, right? And then there's a third group that the building could burn down and all the people could leave, but their faith isn't shaken because it's based on God's word and they search the scriptures themselves, right? So if you're convinced already what we're doing here is merely supplemental, okay? And that's really the goal. When we say our, our goal is to make and mature disciples together as a family, that's the goal. That's how do you know that you're mature, right? You search the scriptures for yourself. Your faith is based on what God has said in his word, not based on what I say, not based on our programming, but based on what God says in his word, and you know because you found it yourself. The, the Spirit led you there. I think that's really important. It's been said that distress teaches a man to pray, but how we pray reveals our level of trust in the Lord Jesus. So, I mean, we kind of know these answers. How do we apply these principles? We have faith in Jesus. We go to his word. We pray, right? We trust him for the direction of our lives. One of those things is how we pray. Is what the disciples did wrong? Help! Jesus, help! Is that wrong? No. When we pray, help! Is that wrong? No. What they did is they accused Jesus of not caring. That's very different. So do we pray like that? Don't you care? Don't you care that this stuff is really hard? Don't, don't you care? I miss my loved one. Don't you care whether or not my family eats or stays in this house? That's sin, right? But when you can say, Lord, I don't know where our next meal is coming from. We can't pay the bills this week. Lord, we need your help. That's not sinful. That is faith. Because who's the one that can help? It's the Lord Jesus, right? 
So, accountability. Somebody said it. It's not my fault. You said it first. Here is your assignment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because our goal is to make and mature disciples together as a family, that means our individual goals should also be to mature as disciples ourselves. And here is a way that you can do that. Some of you already do this, and that's great. Some of you, this is, comes natural. Some of us, it, it, it's not. So your assignment for this week is to write down your prayers. Pray the same way that you always pray, but write it down and then examine it and take a look. Are my prayers saying, Lord, don't you care? Or are they expressing trust in the Lord Jesus? And be honest about that because I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to say, all right, next week, bring in your papers and I'm going to grade them. I'm not, I am not doing that, right? This is an exercise for you to grow as a disciple. Take it seriously. This will benefit you, right? I, I don't know if you came to church this morning thinking, what's going to happen that's going to benefit me as a disciple this morning? I don't know. Maybe it's, are you going to have the same good coffee? Or who's going to be there? I don't know. This takes commitment. And I want to challenge you to do it. You can handle it. Okay? So that's your assignment. And I'm going to do it too. <laughs> but we'll do it together. Right? So that we grow together as a family. Okay? So what do you think? Fun? Good times. All right. Well, we're going to pray. Because, seriously, we have baseball practice at 2 o'clock. <laughs> oh, there's a, something about a car race. Yeah. Let's pray together. Father, um, what a great privilege it is to study your word together as a family. And, Lord, um, I know this is not n- normal, um, but I pray that it would be fruitful. I pray that our discussion um, would... Uh, inspire each of us to take our growth in maturity more seriously and set it as a goal to to trust you, to trust your word, to pray honestly and not be filled with fear. Lord, we need your spirit's help to do that. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has not put their trust in Jesus, has not accepted your offer of forgiveness for their sin, I pray that they would simply cry out to you, Lord, help me. Forgive my sin. Make me yours. Lord, help us all to grow together as a family, as you have designed, and we trust your word to us. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, Checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.